I'm going to start with a verse that's not on your handout. <laughs> Isn't that nice of me? This is Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. And you can just listen to this or you can write it on the top of your handout. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Abram, his name will be changed to Abraham. But for right now, he is without child. And the Lord speaks to Abram. This is an incredible thing that happens. I mean, 2,000 years of history. 2,000 years of history. Is spent in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And then everything comes to a screeching halt. And now we're just going to take many, many chapters to just talk about Abraham. We're slowing down. It's like God put the brakes on. And now here we are. The Lord said to Abram, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Now this is a big move because that means he is going to forsake the natural succession of his inheritance. Abram is going to forego what would normally, rightfully, and perhaps conveniently belong to him because he's leaving the land. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now, I just, I pause it on verse 2 because these are some large promises from God that are given to him without evidence. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him for righteousness. When the Lord says, listen, I want you to abandon everything that you know and everything that's familiar. Just come. I'll show you where to go. You just start walking. I'll guide your step. And when you do that, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you children. Now, mind you, we have no children yet. So it's got to start soon. Of course, from that moment, he did not have Isaac for 25 years later. It took 25 years before that blessing and promise came to be. 25 years. And of course, Ishmael was born before that. And that was a mistake. But Isaac wasn't born for 25 years later. So if that means at this point, Abraham is 75 years old and he does what God asked him to do. Now, I'm really getting to just one word. I'm not really wanting to talk too much about Abraham, but we have to set this tone. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And in thee, all families of the earth shall be blessed. It is the first time that God recognized families. You won't find it before that moment. God recognized families. Now, he said in motion the family, but we don't hear it written in the scripture until Genesis 12. Families. Families will be blessed. From your family to all the families. From your family comes a nation of families. From your families, everyone else who's not part of your family will be blessed. All right. Now let's just... If you will go to the handout, I've, I've tried to succinctly put the information here for us so that we can go through it together. I'm building off of last week, but this lesson is concise in and of itself. 
The family structure was the basis for creation from the beginning. All societies, regardless of their era, language, or other divisions, survived and developed through the structure of the family. Within this structure lies the distinct roles of father, husband, wife, mother, and children. The advantage of marriage was monogamy, procreation, lineage, provisions, protection. There are some secular writers that talk about, of course they don't believe in God, secular writers that talk about the advantage of marriage in that in more ancient times, the woman was protected by virtue of the man. And she had a, a, a wall of protection around her because she was married. This advantage of marriage, of course, became the staple, the foundation of our society. Now, I talked about this last week, and I've, I've been talking about this for a while. I, wanted, I want to make sure this is settled in your mind. And I feel a little bit redundant here, but I, I must return to this over and over, especially in this age. Everything that's being fought in the world, all the spiritual battles, political or otherwise, can be found in the book of Genesis. This is what's happening today. The spirit of the age is fighting against all the establishment that God set in order. Male and female, marriage, home, all of that, everything, creation. The, uh, the false notion that global warming will overtake the earth and, the, and we will no longer have seasons. These things are lies. And why do I know that? Because God said, as long as the earth remains, there shall be winter, summer, fall, spring, day, night. Now, there'll come a time when there's a new heaven, new earth. We'll get into that in prophecy, and we're working on it right now. And some of you already know, but I just want you to know that the great battle of the world today is probably not what we think. It's really a an affront to what God said in the book of Genesis. Procreation. To create. God wanted them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The reason why God was wroth and angry with those at the Tower of Babel is because they would not spread out and replenish the earth. They wanted to be together. Intellectualism ruled them. By that time, they already understood the cube and square root. They were brilliant most of the knowledge of history has been lost to us. The libraries of Alexandra have been burned. We, we have engineers that are still trying to work out the details of how the great pyramids were constructed. Of course, those of you who are conspiracy theorists, of course, know that those are aliens. This is not true. That's not true. Men built that. I'm just presenting to you that there has been a lot of knowledge lost that we don't know. Cures for the human body. Medicine drafted from plants and vegetables and flowers. Some of which we're just now starting to realize. So, there's the procreation to create. The Bible would... would somebody better answer that. The Bible would, would present... Creation, the concept of abortion 
is not new because that's what the devil has been after anyway, to destroy mankind. When you remove God and you, you implant evolution and atheist, atheist concepts, then it's convenient to commit suicide. Because there is no ramification in an afterlife. So everything that we're seeing right now is a battle and a front to what God said in the book of Genesis. He began it. The first battleground, however, surrounds the most fundamental aspect of society. It's the defined marriage of a man and a woman. Never before in our history, in the history of the world, have there, has there been such a huge push to redefine what a marriage is. God set that. A man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. A man and a wife and a woman. Man, this seems... It's bizarre that I'm even speaking like this today. My, my grandfather would have said, if I, was, if I told the congregation that, that marriage was between a man and a woman, our elders would have said to me, son, go home and study the Bible. Everybody knows that. But today, we cannot assume that. How, how distorted. The Bible says in the last days, good shall be called evil and evil shall be good. We are not to tolerate the LBGT community, but now the church is to celebrate them. We're not to endure, we're to enjoy. Careful, this is a distorted time. And what I'm saying right now, at some juncture, will be criminal because language laws are soon to follow. Wake up, ladies and gentlemen. You're living in the last days of time. You're living in the last moments of time. If we knew how close the rapture was. I, I was working in my garage, talking to myself. And um, it struck me how many times I'm at the pulpit talking about the end time. And if part of me said, you know, don't, don't talk about that. You, you, you're overdoing it. And then, and then I felt the Holy Ghost move on me. That I need to be talking about it all the time. The Lord's coming back all the time. You get sick of hearing about the rapture. I'm going to tell you what. One day you could turn that off. And the next day he could be coming back. We ought to be hearing about it every day. We got we to gotta be ready. Our calling and election sure. Amen. So this defined marriage. And then the second is the family construct. Of course. We're talking about an orderly home, which includes respect and honor. These things are lost, respect and honor. A husband respecting and honoring his wife. This was in the Bible. You honor one another verbally. And you honor one another with communication, which is sometimes nonverbal. Everybody know what nonverbal communication is, you know? I don't like your tone and, 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 and that she, he says, I didn't say anything. She said, I know, but I saw how you were looking. You got the non-community, you know, rolling your eyes and huffy. And whatever. There's a lot of ways to communicate without talking. People do it every day. Respect and honor. If, if, if the home got, if the marriage got back to just respect and honor, it would, it would solve a host of things in this world. But we've lost respect and we've lost honor. And when mom and dad don't respect and honor one another, children don't respect and honor their parents. The children learn how to speak to one another and to other adults by what they've seen mom and dad do at home. 
I'm under the I'm under the persuasion that the children learn language and the allowance of language and where the boundaries are or where they're not. First, by how mom speaks to dad and dad speaks to mom. And the battlefield is to distort, distort and destroy respect, honor, and then comes work ethic. Because when you don't, when you don't honor or respect the things you have, then you treat them insignificant. And now we become flagrant. Because, because we, we feel like they don't matter. They do matter. Because you, you can't dishonor things in your life, the things, and then respect all the people. And when you dishonor and you don't have work ethic, then you have a society that relies upon someone else to make a living for you. And now we have an entitlement generation. That I deserve it. Why? Because I'm alive. Uh-oh. How are we doing? There's a distortion because the work ethic has failed. Then there's spiritual guidance in this structure. And there's worship in this. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about the home. And there's all the biblical principles that follow. And there's, there's so many. I, I just generalized that the biblical principles would be followed in the home. And when those things are taken away, there's a distortion. There are the two great battlefields that's afflicting our nation today. That the marriage is distorted and that the family has been corrupted or, or have been divided. Let's just go down through a couple of these aspects as I talk about order and structure. And I, I want everyone to know, I love the moving of the Holy Ghost. I want to speak in tongues and be baptized in the Spirit every time that I get into His presence. I feel like we need to have a spiritual word, a word of prophecy. I want to have the guidance of the Holy Ghost. I want, I want there to be an exercise of the fruits of the, of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. I want there to be a, a, I want there to be a free flow of the anointing. And I don't have to sacrifice the anointing to have common sense. I can have both. In fact, I believe it's God's will for me to have common sense. I pray in faith, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to pray in faith. I really do. But if you need a surgery, God also gave us a brain and a doctor and a nurse. And a hospital and an ER and emergency. And I believe that you can be healed. So I'll pray for you. But when we're done praying, I'm calling 911. <laughs> if you go into cardiac arrest, I'm calling 911. If you pass out, somebody close to your family relative is going to give you CPR. And I'm going to stand behind them and pray for you. And then we're going to call the ambulance. Because we're going to use our brains. So just because I give this to you does not exclude the need for you to pray and have a walk with God or to fast. 
But you have to learn how to live every day. What do you do when you get done worshiping? You live. You live correctly. So I present order and structure. I wanted to present this to you because I, I think this needs to be told and repeated many, many times. When discipline is weighted on correction, true discipline is not found. Let me just offer this to you. When I, when I, see, when I see people that the idea of correction or discipline is, to be, is, is a spanking, then I know they don't have discipline. Discipline has very little to do with correction. No. Discipline is boundaries. It's time. It's getting up at the right time. It's going to bed at a certain time. It, is, it contains the disciplines of life. It's reading. It's manners. Mm -hmm. It's, uh-oh. It's food. I've hesitated to say this, but we have eaten our way into diabetes. We've eaten our way into health problems. We consume things we should not consume. Then we come to God and we cry that God would heal us. But we're not taking care of ourselves because we're not disciplined. We drink things we shouldn't drink and it doesn't even have to be alcoholic. And when you have order in your structure, you take care of your temple. We don't have any Bible that tells us not to smoke Marlboro. There's no Bible for that. How do we know? Because your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we don't want to put a substance in our body that will be sure to give us lung cancer. And if you've ever seen someone die of lung cancer, it's a horrible, debilitating thing. And, and my childhood best friend is a radiation oncologist, and he says, we've got a lot of advancements, but even if someone smokes for a long time and they quit, and they quit, even if, they've, even if they haven't done that for years and years and years, the chances of them having lung cancer is above 70%. He told me that at the table. He said, now we can do a lot of things. Why would we, why would we put a foreign substance? And so I hear a lot of people say, we don't do this and we don't do that, except we have our own allowances and our own vices because we don't have disciplines of our life. And I would submit to you, go back to disciplines. And before you, you're, you scorn someone for what they're doing, be careful. <laughs> Uh-oh. I almost talked about Mountain Dew, but let me just move on, okay? I know I'm going to offend everybody, Lord, all the Mountain Dew people. So, watch the disciplines. Well, I'm, I, I believe in discipline. You do? You, you do? Well, what does that mean? Well, that, that, must, that must not just mean that you believe in correcting someone else. It must mean. Because, you see, when children are loaded up with sugar every day, and then you try to correct them with a spanking, or we load them up with sugar, and then we medicate them because they're hyper... We don't have discipline in our life. I know this doesn't sound spiritual, but the problem is we're asking God to take away things we put inside of ourselves and inside of our children. Stop blaming the devil for all this stuff. Amen. The devil did not create fruity pebbles. Now, let's all go eat fruity pebbles after church. Won't we do that? Wouldn't it be great? Amen. Forgive us, Lord. 
Number two, predictable lifestyles. Predictable. Not, they don't only provide security, but they also demand order, predictability. It's a good thing. Mysterious living is not a good thing. The mysterious man is usually the man having an affair. Because they're not accountable. Predictable people. Predictable. Predictable saints become pillars of the church. I know where they sit. I know what they're doing. I know their spirit. In fact, I don't even have to know what was said. I know that person would never say that. Because their spirit and their attitude are predictable. And so, when, when you have order and structure, people already know because they predictability means that people understand your nature. How are we doing? Are we okay? Because we got to work on that, on our nature. And predictable lifestyles not only pr- provide security for our families, but they demand order because it's got to be orderly. It's got to be orderly. This involves management of time, finances, and conversation. If you don't manage your, your time, you will lose your time. And you'll wake up one day and say, well, where did the time go? Now, we're all going to get to that point where, you know, man, we look in the mirror, you know. And we, we say, well, what, what happened to me? Like the, like the folk singer said, you know, he said, whatever happened to me? You know, I look in the mirror every day, and, and, and it, it's hard to judge time that way. But when you... When you lose time, that means you're losing opportunity to do good. You manage your time. When people say, I like to go to church, I just don't have time. Yes, you do. You can do whatever you want to do. Remember the sermon? You command you. You order the time for you. I found out everybody does what they want to do. In fact, everybody spends money on the things they want. And finances. If you're not managing them... With a structure, you'll lose them. Let me just tell everybody in this church, I don't care what anyone makes, just don't spend more than you make. And no one cares what someone has. We're rejoicing no matter what. If you've got, oh Lord, if you have a clothes hanger wrapped around your muffler right now to hold it up off the ground, Come on, who's done that before many times? <laughs> or if you're driving a new car, so what? That didn't determine your character. That didn't mean that you have a better walk with God or a worse walk with God. It doesn't matter. You make do with what you have and love God and thank God that you got a muffler to, to tie up. And I'll thank God too because your car will be too loud. I don't, I'm not going to go over this right now in depth. We'll, we're going to do it in a moment if we can get to it. And then conversation. You order your conversation. You structure. No one makes you say what you say. And whenever people say, well, the devil made me do that. The devil made me say that. I just couldn't help it. You can help it. You can help it. You have to help it. Amen. I'm, 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 I'm working through this. I feel like this is a maze, but I'm kind of working through this because we have to talk about basic living, basic Christianity. As Tammy often says, be a Christian. What's wrong with just being a Christian? Be Christ-like. 
Number three, the unstructured home marriage, whatever that is, eventually erodes the balance of society. And that's where we are today. It's unstructured. When you have no structure in the home, no structure in the marriage, all of society erodes. Why? Because the marriage, the home, is the building block of all societies and nations. Not the government, ladies and gentlemen. And not the church. It's the home. It all starts in the marriage and in the home with a father and and children, with a mother and children. And when we structure that correctly, everything else falls in line. When When those things are out of balance, then there's no accountability. Let me just tell you how this operates here just in this dynamic. I'm accountable to you. You're accountable to one another. And in some respect, you're accountable to me. The Bible says, submit yourselves one to another. In the same portion, it says, submit yourself to those who have the rule of you. It also says, submit yourself one to another. We should be submitted one to another. You don't live outside of someone else. You're not an island. This is the body of Jesus Christ. We are submit. Don't do anything that would hurt the body of Jesus Christ. Every person in here is your brother and your sister. Every person in here. Amen. And so, when, when, when the... When the home or the marriage is messed up, it erodes even the church. So do your best to protect your husband, your wife, your marriage. Do your very best. Amen. The exampleship of the role. Roles are important. Modernism has produced the doctrine that knowledge is merely subjective. I, I don't think I put that word right, so just write subjective in there. M- knowledge is merely subjective, and there's no objective truth. The end result is a distortion of roles. I will just tell you, it, subjectivism has killed us. That means that whatever you think is true, is true. And everyone can have their own truth. In fact, we've been hearing this over and over in our airwaves and politicians. He or she spoke their truth. Their truth. Let me just say, there is no such thing as their truth. You don't get to have your truth and they have their truth. Somebody is telling the truth and someone's lying. Someone's telling the truth and someone's lying. If they're in opposition, both can't be true. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So there's got to be something that's true and something that's false. And so modernism has produced this subjective thought. It's a, it's, it's, it's a religion now. It's become a religion. And so what is that? What are we seeing? We're seeing the attack of the Holy Scripture where the Holy Scripture is being diluted as just mere stories or suggestions. But in exampleship or the, the roles that are important, that's how, we, that's how we gain knowledge and understanding of how to live, how to walk, how to, how to talk, even how to present ourselves. Role models need to stay within the family structure, but they have moved from parental views to entertainment, sports, personalities, other celebrities. They've moved. The need for pure exampleship is the initial process of learning because before a child can read, they're watching. They're watching. They're looking. They're walking like dad or like mom. They're they're participating in life Based upon what they see, the role model. 
I would say to the ladies of the church, the Bible says that the older ladies should teach the younger ladies. Of course, the problem is no one wants to be considered older. We don't have any of those here in our church. Right? There's no older ladies. Let me just call you the mothers of the church. Let me tell you, mothers of the church, help people that are younger than you how to conduct themselves, how to treat their husbands, their children, how to worship correctly. Mothers, here, pastor, mothers of the church, you should be guiding every child and lending your voice to everyone in a sweet spirit. When you see something that is wrong, put your arm around them and love them and say, honey, now this is how we do it around here. Amen. Is it a little old fashioned for you? This is how we do it. This is how we live. This is how we talk. No, no, we don't, we don't say that. We don't talk that way. <laughs> the role models, what we've done is we've taken role models away from, we, well, we've, we've replaced godly role models and we've put role models in with these people that we don't have any relationship with because they're good at something or they're wealthy or they're athletic or they're good singers, or they're good performers. There are no movie stars that should be role models in our home. We don't have anybody that we think that are role models for us, that star in movies or in sports. They're not role models. In fact, every time any of my children bring someone's name up, I do a little research on them, and just because they can hit a home run, throw a touchdown, or dunk a basketball, I'm quick to point out, yes, They may be good at that sport, but they got some issues, and here here they are. Uh Uh-oh. I want to dilute all the ideas that the world has any, any models that I'm trying to follow. The role models are in the scripture and in the church. And when we lose the role... Because to have an exampleship of the role, you have to have a role. Someone has to play the role. Now, I'm not saying make-believe, but I'm saying the role. The role of a godly man. The role of a godly lady. The role of children. And when, when young people and children don't offer respect, ooh, that means that we've got a problem with the roles at home. Because what happens in those private areas always manifest in its in in the public arena so when the when the child goes to middle school or to grade school and they're saying all kinds of bad words and mom comes in and said oh they're a wonderful child they're just going through some i'm gonna tell you what they're going through problems yes because there's no discipline in their home and i'm didn't, i didn't talk i'm not talking about correction i'm talking about structure discipline and now we have people making excuses for poor behavior I've said this before, and I remember a couple years ago when I said it, an individual was here, they had only visited, and on their way out the door, they said, I just don't believe that, that my son is a good person. Well, their son got caught stealing, spent time in jail, was a thief, got in, was in and out of prison, and mama kept saying, they got a good heart, they're a good person. No, they're not. They're bad. <laughs> They need to repent. But we gave allowances and excuses because there was no role and there was no discipline and there was no order and there's no structure. If you have young children and you can hear this, hear pastor tonight, 
Don't wait until it's out of control before you decide to start the battle. Fight every battle now. If you win the little battles, you won't have to fight the big battles. And if you control yourself, they'll be in control of themselves. And when we lose that, that means, we, that means we're not taking on our proper role. Dr. Hughes says when a man throws a fit, he reverts back to his seven-year-old self. And all the ladies said amen. Let's just talk a little bit. We're moving on because we, we've got to get to the place here. I, I want to just briefly talk about the kingdom plan. And the kingdom plan needs more time. But the kingdom plan is important. And I want everyone to know, I hope you have a good job. I want you to have a good career. I'm, I'm glad about that. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a ministry. Paul stopped evangelizing and preaching and made tents. His job was just a means to support his ministry habit. Whatever you do in life to make money, that's not who you are. That's just what you do to support your ministry habit. If you say, well, I'm an engineer. Well, I'm a carpenter. Well, that's what I do. I'm an I'm electrician. Well, I'm a bit. No, I'll t that's what you do. What, who you are is you're a minister. Everyone in this church should be a minister. And you should minister to people. Ministry means to serve. Ministry means to serve. Now, we're not going to walk around calling everybody a reverend, a holy reverend, unless you want to. Just go ahead. I'm not. But ministry does not mean you have to forego your career. But if your career takes precedent over the ministry, over serving, over doing the will of God and the kingdom work, then what you've done is you have prioritized making money over reaching the lost or serving. I want you to have a good job and I want you to have a good career and I want you to be educated and I hope that we will continue that. But I never want you to think this whole thing is about getting ahead, making money, and having a good life in retirement. And moving to Florida. There's fire ants down there, by the way. And I hope they get bigger and bigger and bigger. For all you people who want to get down there and just walk in the grass. You know who you are. Sorry, that was, that was bad of me, wasn't it? It was terrible. But then under the kingdom plan comes the mission. The mission is bigger than you. The mission is the great commission. And the mission has an opposition to it. The mission is gratification. Self-gratification. Instant gratification. Because the mission always interrupts gratification. Because the mission consumes the personality. The mission consumes the self. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There is the mission. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Baptize. This is the great commission. And it invades our gratification. Because what we say is, well, well, I, I'd like to do that. But that's just, you know, I want to do something for me now. I, I, I'm, I'm, I need a little happiness. Well, the great commission and the mission May, all, may, may invade your emotional happiness. Uh -huh. And I will tell you once again here on Back This, the time is too short for you to play games. Now it's time for you to be about the Father's business. Now it's time to be about the Father's business. If I, could, if I told you that the Lord was coming back at the end of this year, how would you live right now? 
How, how would you live? What would you do? You might throw caution to the wind and run down your neighborhood and start screaming. You might knock on every door. If you knew that he was coming back in 30 days, I guarantee you, you would change your mindset of how you're acting around people. You would say, you've got to be saved. You've, let me teach you a Bible study. Please come to my house. But what happened is the commission has been overcome by what gratifies us. Mm-hmm. And the kingdom lays at wait because the kingdom needs somebody to enact the commission. The kingdom is waiting for the people of the kingdom. And we got to do kingdom work. And kingdom work might mean that we have a revival here or it might mean that we send money to someone else to have revival. Or can you believe it? That someone was watching and they thought, I've got to get back to God. And they went to their church and they had revival in a place that we've never seen, but they were watching us. And they heard the word. And the kingdom is served wherever it is around the world. We want the kingdom to come here. We want there to be, we want the Lord to reign now. But the way that the mission is thwarted is if we're always thinking about ourselves, how it makes me feel. There are things that I do and don't do, not because I, I really, not because it would bother me, but because I don't want to interrupt the process of the work of God. I could give myself allowances, but I would abandon the role that God has put me in. And the second thing it would do is it would interrupt the way that the kingdom is presented. The gospel is presented. The doctrine is presented. It's not, say it right now with me, it's not about me. Come on, say it's not about me. Okay, turn, turn to someone close and say it's not about you either. There you go. Say that again, it's not about you. Don't be so snide, just... Say, honey, it's not about you. <laughs> uh-huh. There you go. I don't know if I can finish all of this, but I, I'm going to attempt just to cover three areas. And these are the three areas that you're going to hear a lot about in the coming months and years. These are areas of health. The Lord has spoke to me uh, a, about a year and a half ago. In fact, I want to say it was in the late fall of 2019. <clears throat> and Brother Shock and I was talking. He asked me a few questions and this came. This was on my heart that the Lord has spoken. There are three areas of health that we have to concentrate on. Spiritual health, emotional health, and financial health. Now, I've added financial health in that because in my experiences... When people have financial duress, um, many other things transpire. It's a domino effect. It ripples. If you'll just stay on spiritual health for a moment. Spiritual health is your relationship with God. Your relationship with the Lord. And if you took an assessment today, if you went to a doctor, if, you could, if we could measure this, what's, what's your spiritual health? I wonder what our spiritual health would be. Now there's, now there's individual spiritual health and then there's the spiritual health of the corporate body. The corporate body's health is determined by the individual spiritual health. So if everyone here is anemic, no one prays, then that means that no one reads their Bible, there's no fasting, then that means the corporate body is also anemic. If people are praying and fasting and calling on God, and then, then it raises that, let's call it that health score, that spiritual health score. 
And there's areas, and I want you to write down maybe other areas that I have not included that you would think that would be, uh, that would attend to spiritual health. And I would, I'm starting with my communication with God or prayer. Communication with God. Now there are many times throughout the day I talk to God, just like I'm talking right now. And then there's sometimes I'll kneel down and I'll pray. Sometimes I cry to God. But I talk to the Lord about many things. Sometimes I ask the Lord to speak to me. All of that is my communication with God. I'm concerned about our communication with God. I'm always concerned about that. I start with mine. And I wonder, if you did not talk to people, what kind of relationship would you have with people? If you, if you have a friend, but you, you never talk to that friend, uh, how close do you think you would be with that friend? Um, people in the church and even people beyond would all say, oh, I love the Lord. He's my Lord and Savior. I don't know that there's any relationship without communication. You have to talk to God. And if you're not talking to God, if you're not praying, then you probably are not in good health. And I want us to get in good health. I'm just promote this again. The first Friday night of every month, Friday night, 7 o'clock to Saturday night, 7 o'clock, 24-hour prayer chain, you can go on the website and you can sign up for a half an hour prayer or an hour prayer. That's minimal. I'm going to call more prayer meetings like we did just a few weeks ago, and it'll be on a Saturday nights or Monday nights, whatever, and I hope everybody comes. It was a powerful prayer meeting. We're going to pray. The church has got to pray. We've got to communicate with God. But those moments are one-offs. Those are event prayers. You have to pray to God every day. Tammy and I talk to each other every day. We talk. We communicate from simple things to deep things. We talk about everything. I'll share ideas with her. She'll share ideas with me. We talk about things. This is our relationship. It's communication. When you don't have good communication, you don't have a good relationship. And the health of your relationship is mostly dependent upon your communication. Amen. If your relationship is only built on what you get out of it, you have a very unhealthy relationship. There are distorted marriages today because either husband or wife, one or the other, they're happy as long as they're getting something out of it. As long as they're gratified. As long as they're taken care of. As long as there's a personal gain. And I'm afraid that many people serve God for what they can get out of God. As if he's a fix-it. He's an on-time God. I love the song. It's nice. It's got a good groove, you know. I like the, like the verses, especially when Sister Carla sings it. She got that powerful thing. She's like she's preaching it, you know. We got to get her up and sing that again. But hold on a second. He's on time when you're not on time. He wants to communicate with you when you don't need help. He wants to be a friend to you when you are not in desperate need. He wants to talk to you when you are not sick. He'd like to hear from you when you're not down on your luck and you have no more money and everything's going awry. He wants to have a word with you. And if you only talk to him when you need something, that means you're only in it for what you can get out of him. Thank the Lord that he's gracious enough to know how immature we all are. I want to talk to him and thank him and love on him even when I'm not in trouble. Of course, I'm always in trouble, so you know, hey. I want to love on him and talk to him when things are going well. This is a problem. Here's a problem. 
And we've got to have spiritual health. The second level is our knowledge of the scripture. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge of Hosea 6.6. 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And because you've rejected, the Bible says, you'll be no priest to me. What knowledge? Knowledge of math? Biology? Science? Social studies? Anatomy? Astrology? Knowledge? You heard the song, right? Don't know much about history. Don't know much about biology. But I do know. That guy's dumb. I'll tell you what. He know nothing. He ain't dating my daughter. I don't care if he does have an emotion. Uh If we don't know the scripture, we cannot stop the attack of the enemy. Even Jesus who is the author of it all, used the scripture to stop the attack of the devil in the wilderness. But the saints of God, we're struggling because we don't know how to combat all the things that are in the world because we haven't opened up the Bible. We open up Facebook and Instagram. We open up our computers, but do we open up the Bible? You have to have, your spiritual health is dependent on what you know here. This is God's word. He wrote the word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. This is the best defense you'll ever have. Know the word. We've got to know the word. I meditate day and night on the word. Do you want to have a good night's sleep? Read the Bible. It puts me to sleep. You, you want to you, you have peace? The Bible says we're washed by the water of the word. You can cleanse your mind, your spirit by reading the scripture. And every time you're reading the Bible, you're spending time with God. Otherwise, he didn't write it. I'm going to tell you, the Bible says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. There are people who penned it, but that was like, that was like an attorney dictating to the paralegal what to write. God spoke it. Holy men of God sp- wrote as, as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. So spiritual health means that you have, if you have spiritual health, it means that you're in the word. You have to have the word. Tammy and I were, we, we, we were, uh, we were about to make a huge decision several, many, many years ago. And this decision was an impactful decision. It, everything was right except, and so we, we, we said, we had someone take care of the kids and we left for three days and we just went somewhere and we opened up the Bible and we just read, we just read the whole day we was reading. And while I was reading, I, I came across Numbers 22 and the Lord spoke just like that through the word. And the answer was given. It was settled. If I wasn't in the scripture, I wouldn't know what to do. And not just knowing the scripture because people know the Bible, but they don't obey it. And health means you obey the scripture. Why would you know something and not obey it? And if you have obedience, that means there's something in you that's, that becomes submissive to the scripture, to the written word of God. Now that is harder than reading it. Anyone can read it. Not everyone will obey it. But if you obey it, it'll bless you and you'll be spiritually strong in the Lord. Spiritual health begins, I, I'm going to promote this to you. It, it begins the moment you wake up. Wake up early, read the word. If you, ha- if, you go, if you go to work in night shift, wake up half an hour early and read the word. 
If you have normal hours in the day, if you have the first shift, then you wake up early and you get in the Word. And you open up your Bible and you read. Try that one-year Bible and you read and you keep reading. And you read that, you read that Scripture. If you're doing the one-year Bible and you get a little, little Old Testament and maybe a Psalm or Proverb and a New Testament, read that Scripture. It will bless your life. It helps you. It gives you spiritual strength. Now, I think that many people bypass that because they don't think it's necessary. It is necessary. If the only Scripture you ever hear is the one I'm reading on Sunday, you are spiritually anemic. I, I've challenged you a thousand times. I feel like I'm a little redundant, but I got to say it again. If you're not going to read the scripture, don't eat food. Only eat dinner, breakfast, lunch on the days that you read the Bible. Amen. And we'll put all the gastric bypass surgeries out of business. And we won't even have to go on Jenny Craig. And we won't have to. But if you're reading the Bible, then then you'll have spiritual health. And if you're obeying the scripture, you'll have spiritual health. Mm -hmm. If you'll read the scripture and obey it, you won't have to ask people what to do in your life. You won't be groping around asking people for advice because the word will give you the advice and you'll be attuned to the the spirit of the Lord because you're praying and God will give you that word. Mm -hmm. There's a host of people who are sponges They'll just suck the life out of you because they're not in the word and they're not in the prayer room. They just want someone else to tell them how to live when the scripture has already given you the plan how to live. It's shown you how to honor your husband and love your wife. It's shown you how to discipline your home. It's shown you how to order your finances because you're never going to get out of debt and you're never going to be helped until you first give your first fruit, which is your first fruit of your increase to God. And not just your tithing, but your offerings. And your offerings shouldn't be minimal, it should be large. In fact, I would even promote that your offering should equal your tithe. And your tithe should just be the beginning point. And when you structure your life that way, God will bless your life. And you will have to have ordered your steps and your finances. And your time, and your efforts, and your energies, and your words, and what you're doing. These are... These all attend to a spiritually healthy life. Amen. And then comes emotional health. And emotional health has to do with our human structure, communication with family members through love, care for one another, serving others, proper conduct, decency. Where did decency go? How about being decent? Don't tell me because you have the Holy Ghost that you can be indecent. There's people that have been born again, but they're indecent. When you received the Holy Ghost, that was a baby. Now it's time to grow up. In fact, the apostle said, now leaving the principles of the foundation of Jesus Christ, let's go into perfection. Not laying again the foundation of laying out of hands, resurrection of the dead, and the baptisms. That didn't mean that he was wiping them out. He means you got to go to the next level. Don't keep coming down trying to receive the baptismal Holy Ghost and starting the birthing process all over again. We've got to grow up. And we do that by living decent in honor with one another. Here I'm back again. I'm emotional. I'm in this emotional health area. Having emotionally healthy relationships. We want to have that with our families, with our neighbors, with our children. 
And one of the problems is that, that, that we're, not, we're not promoting proper conduct. And proper conduct is not just what you feel in your heart. It could be that when young men and young ladies go through this period of time where they're trying to find themselves or whatever, they want to just look like someone else. Maybe you should fight the battle of it's time to get a haircut. Because if you bypass that, oh man. If you bypass that, what you're, what you're doing is you're setting up yourself up for another big failure. Because you didn't put the proper constraints and you have no emotional health. You're, you're given allowances, but there's not proper conduct. Proper conduct means that, that, that you don't allow someone to demean you because you have respect and you offer respect. When, you, when your children come to our house and, and, and Sister Tammy calls for them and, and, and this has happened so many times and, and instead of, you know, saying, uh, yes, ma'am, I didn't hear you, they, they yell out what or huh, huh, what? Tammy will say, ma'am, ma'am. I learned that during the course of our marriage. When we first got married, and if Tammy was saying something, she would say to me, yes, sir. I thought, man, this is awesome. My wife called me sir. But pretty soon I realized I got to reciprocate. Ma'am, yes, ma'am. I got into that, yes, ma'am. Boy, that was, we start calling yes, ma'am and yes, sir. And when our kids kind of slip over the edge, we remind them. We remind them. And we don't have it down. We're not perfect. We, we, we don't have it all together. But we're working on it every day. We're striving for emotional health every day. We're having communication every day. Our table communication. Sometimes we're not at the physical table, but we have another table. It's our living room table. And then sometimes everybody piles into our room at 1130 at night and they want to start talking. I'm like, man, where was this at at 7? No, now we're all going to start talking. Man, I'm keeping my eyes open. Here they are. Everybody is just talking. We're having communication. They're sprawled out everywhere. Am I the only one? They're sprawled out all everywhere. They're, in the, they're, they're laying on the bed. The dogs are everywhere. We're going to start talking. Okay, here's the table. Wherever the table is, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about sacrifice. We're going to talk about commitment. We're going to talk about how to be decent. We're going to talk about work ethic. We're going to talk about schedule. We're going to talk about everything in their life. Because I'm interested in emotional health. I have to have emotional health in my family. I'm working on it every day. You've got to work on it. Honor and respect. In the family, if there's no honor and respect in the family, there will be no honor and respect in the church. We, listen, I know this is a building. I got it. But this is a dedicated building. I know the Lord is bigger than a building. I know, in fact, I, I know that. I know. I know it's not all about a building. But thank God we have a building. When, our, when my father's church burned and we had to go to the funeral parlor to have service, I was thankful that we had a building, not the funeral parlor, because we would come into the parlor and there was another door over here. You open up that door and there was, there was the deceased, you know, waiting. And they were in that area. It was a cooler area. And, you know, I, I just didn't think we needed to have really rowdy services. Who knew who was going to get up, you know, out of the thing. And it was, it was a little eerie, you know, we're all in the, 
Be thankful we have a designated church. It's beautiful. Thank God we have a place to come. I know it's not. But if, if you don't, if your children don't honor this place, it means they don't honor your car, your van, your truck, your home. They're not going to come and treat this house with respect if they don't have any respect for their bedroom. And you say, well, pastor, is, do they really have to make their bed? Are they going to go to hell? No, but they're going to make your life one. Because you didn't, you didn't operate the way you should have operated. Because what you thought was, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. Because it is everyday emotional health. Emotional health. There shouldn't even be, there should not even be a question about whether or not they're coming to church if they're living in your home. If they're living in your home, there should even be an option whether or not they're coming to come to church, if, whether or not they're going to come to church. Now, they may not worship, they may not do anything, but they're going to come and sit with you. Why would you pay their bills and cover them in your, over your roof and not, and not have them in this house? You are an enabler. If you allow that, you enable them to do the wrong thing. That's right. We didn't have an option. We never said to my dad, I don't think we want to go to church today, dad. It never crossed my mind. I never thought I had the option. It never occurred to me that I I could actually say to my father, hey, listen, I love Bill and Rosie love you too. You're, you seem to be great people. I want to be emancipated, but still live in the house, you know. Please provide food. I didn't say that. I didn't know. We got, we've got people today. How do they get to that point? Because there was no honor and respect at four years old or five years old or six years old or eight years old or 12 years old. And emotional health begins with communication through love and care servanthood and then there's financial health now financial health doesn't may not appear to be a huge subject we probably would rather talk about spiritual things and and maybe and i'm going to end on financial health i'm not going to go past this but of the three things that caused divorce in the last 30 years that was gathered by focus on the family was adultery infidelity Death and debt. And those three things have flipped around from time to time, from year to year, but they've always been in the top three. Death was maybe a terrible incident of a child passing away, of some family member passing away, and it metastasized into divorce. Of course, infidelity has always been in the top two Adultery, um, unfaithfulness. But there is another thing called financial infidelity. And sometimes it happens when, when there's homes that are emotionally unhealthy. And so she decides she's going to get back at her husband by racking up the credit card. And so she puts the family in major debt. Tens of thousands of dollars of stuff that she doesn't need. Because he's ignored her. And he loves his career more than his family. And so financial duress is one of the largest causes of divorce. Because there's stress 
I emphasize this to you all. Because if you don't, if you don't have your finances in order and you honor God first, if you don't do that, nothing will be blessed. I believe that when you honor the Lord, whatever you have left over will go farther than if you kept the whole. Because God then is responsible to replenish you and to bless you. But it also says something else about you. It means that you are thoughtful in your finances. It means you dictate them and they don't dictate you. If you buy something that you really like and and you can afford it, no problem. Go do it. But if you buy it to impress people, you're doing it for the wrong motive. That means there's something wrong in you. Also, there's a problem with lust. Debt often reveals lust. Now, we don't always talk about that. We think lust is something else. But the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes can easily, pride of life can easily be, be linked to debt, financial duress. Why? Because you lusted after that and you bought it without regard to everything else. I would just, I would say to you, if, if you're at the, no matter what age you are, you should be careful with your finances. Give to God, give Give to more than enough or the building fund or whatever we're going to do. Give to missionaries. Pay your bills and then, and then construct a retirement. Does that sound spiritual? I'll tell, you how it, I'll tell you how it ends up. When people don't have any money at the end of their life, they blame God and say, I always gave my tithes. What's wrong? Because you didn't do anything after that. That was your reasonable service. You didn't, you didn't store up. Go read what, go read what Solomon said. He said, the ants are a mighty people. They store up for the winter. They're wise. The winter is coming. Uh, Is this too practical? You don't need to buy a new car. So what if your best friend, the church bought a new truck? You don't need a new truck. If you need a truck, ask your best friend to borrow their truck. That's what I do. I got five trucks waiting on me right now. I don't even have a place to, place to drive them. I'm trying to find something to put in your truck. <laughs> what, what difference does that make? Who cares? I like to have a nice tie on. Who cares? It just because I like the tie. But I'm not going to put my family in jeopardy because then that means I have a deficit. And now that means I've got to work on the core. Mm-hmm. people who always want this is the advertisement world it has afflicted the church we have nothing to give to the Lord go back and listen to the sermon there's a king in the corner if you consume everything you cannot you'll never, disco- you'll never discover the king in the corner don't consume everything have something left to- have a lot left over <laughs> you're exp- oh man I'm, I'm, I'm going down this road. Your expenses and your income, and the bigger the gap, the better it is. But people usually don't do that. If they get a pay raise, they spend more money. What happened to your stimulus check? You've been stimulated. But the feeling is gone. You lost that loving feeling. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's over. You don't even know what, what happened to it. You got the experience, and Disney World was closed. Mm -hmm. This is what happens to us, because we're not planned. We don't don't have control. 
and you have to have control. See, we need people that can give. We need people that will give sacrificially. But we're never going to have people that can give sacrificially if you haven't managed your money correctly. Amen. And money management is critical. Either you manage your money or it will manage you. Controlled lust, jealousy, covetousness. Because I don't know why, but people judge the credibility or validity by the outward things that someone has. You've got to control yourself. You honor God with your first fruit. Financial health begins there. And you prepare for the future instead of having an instant gratification now. I have to say this to the Pentecostal church here. The Baptist and the Methodist are way ahead of us in this regard. There are churches right now in the Baptist and Methodist congregations, they have almost nobody left in their church, but they never have any financial duress because their people were taught early on to be legacy givers. So within their final day, in their will, their last will and testament, they left money to their churches and they called it endowments. We didn't do it. None of our preachers or pastors talked about it. It just now in the last five, six, eight years has been broadcast. We need to have endowment funds. In the state of Indiana, I am the director of North American Missions and we have an endowment fund. And every year when people give to Christmas for Christ, I now take a portion of that money and put into our endowment fund. Last year, the, the state of Indiana, the Pentecostal churches gave a record offering. We All the churches combined gave $316,000. And we put a small portion, $25,000 into our endowment fund. And had we been doing that for the last 40 years, we'd have had several millions of dollars. The interest alone could have been building new churches. But nobody wants to talk about that because we think we're just money hungry. We're not money hungry. We're not greedy. But you ought to consider putting something in your will. And I'm not afraid to say it and I'll say it publicly because she didn't care. But Janet, Janet Jenkins left the church something in her will. She was giving to the church even after she passed away. Why? Because she was controlled in her finances. Because she managed it. Because she honored God. Amen. Because she had financial health. I want you to have financial health. I'll tell you where it starts. It starts by making sure that whatever you get, you honor the Lord. If you're poor and you ain't got much, all you got are 10 cans of green beans, you give God one can. Bring it Sunday. Put it on the altar. We'll get a can opener and we'll all eat it together. Everybody gets a green bean. Whatever it is. Don't think that because you don't have much, whatever you have, if, if you give God what you're supposed to give God, he'll multiply that for the use of the kingdom and for your life. I was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. But when people get in financial duress, I'll tell you what they do. They stop giving. And when they stop giving, they are self-condemned. And I've seen many people quit the church and backslide, not because they didn't believe the doctrine, not because they fell in sin, but because they didn't have any money and they knew they were guilty. And they left they left because they couldn't get their financial house in order. And when you get financial health and you believe God, I believe God will bless your life. And, he, and who has, the Lord has blessed, if the Lord has blessed you financially when you gave, raise your hand. God has blessed us financially. 
He's a good God. He's never going to leave you empty. God's never going to leave you empty. If you're self-controlled and you're give to God, bless God. Amen. Mark Mizedek told us when we were going to build this building, he said to me and Tammy, he said, tell the people, don't buy a new washer or dryer. Hold out. Let that thing bounce around the room and rattle, but give God the money. We were promoting, put off all your big purchases because we're going to build a, a sanctuary. And thank God we built a sanctuary and seven years after we built it, we burned the mortgage. Why? Because the people understood financial health. We burned that mortgage seven years after we, after we were in this building. It was a miracle. And why? Because we realized we have to have financial health. Amen. So I'm promoting tonight, and you're going to hear a lot about it. We're going to have health, the health of the body. We're going to have spiritual health. We've got to work on spiritual health. Do your assessment. We're going to have emotional health. I want to have joy. I want to know how to go through trouble. Communicate wisely with love. And I want to control what God gives me. Whatever God gives me. And I want to use it for the kingdom. Amen. I'm a little bit over my time. But I believe... Tammy, did you amen that? That's the wrong time. Usually you're sitting over there and I know not to look at you. Amen. Let's stand together. The first lady has spoken. And we'll pray. Are you ready? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, Lord. We thank you for the scripture and sound teaching. Let it be sound teaching in my life, Lord. And for all of us, Lord, I pray you bless this local body of believers. Bless the church in Jesus' name. Amen. And all the people said amen.